Hello and welcome back to another episode in our health and wellness series. In another episode, we spoke with Andrew Schwedell, a partner in our New York office, who talked about the future of work. If you haven't listened to that episode, go check it out and hear more about how we're focusing on what workers want out of their jobs and out of their lives. Joining me today is Mackenzie Morrison, the Director of Global Professional Development in our Chicago office. Today we'll talk with Mackenzie about her background and transition in her career that led to Bain, her work in Bain's global professional development, specifically inspirational leadership, and BEST, Bain's health and wellness program. Mackenzie, great to have you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, Mackenzie, as we always do, let's start with your education and career path. When you were going to university, what did you study and how did you choose that major? Yeah, I went to the University of Texas in Austin and ended up studying. I got into the honors program as part of the business school and then was trying to decide what to major in. And my mind at the time worked. I'm good at math. I should probably go major in finance. It just worked. I think back to the advice that I was given by family members, dad, brothers, and part of it was, hey, business is a really safe spot for you. You're pretty good at a couple of things. And so I was debating between finance and engineering and ultimately decided business. And so you go through that degree. Did you know what you wanted to do when you came out specifically, or did you sort of play the field as a young person looking for a job after college? absolutely played the field and partly just because I didn't really know what to expect. So I dabbled with and had interviews with investment banks, with consulting firms, and with corporate finance. I was actually in an interview with an investment bank and we were halfway through when the interviewer stopped it and was like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, no, I'm not at all. But I think that people who major in what I do go into investment banking. So that's why I'm here. Interesting. So you chose to go into tech after graduation. Talk a little bit about that role because you ended up in a rotation program, I believe, which gives you an opportunity to see a lot of things, which some might argue is a little bit like the early years of consulting. But how did you end up in that role and what did you try and get out of it? Yeah. So I was I was graduating in 2008 and jobs were not there were not a ton of them available at the time. Markets had crashed. People were being pretty conservative. I mean, you even heard the horror stories of offers being revoked. So part of it was just what was available. I got very lucky in what was. To your point, I think that I was always interested in continuing to learn and really going for that breadth. So consulting ended up on the top of the list, as did this corporate finance rotational program. What I loved about the place where I ended up is it allowed me to still have some aspect of depth. So yes, I was going to see four different areas of corporate finance, but I was going to do so in one organization. And it also had a really interesting program. It was modeled after the GE program. So depending on how you performed relative to your peers, you also had the opportunity to potentially go abroad for a year, which I did. And I spent a year in Bratislava, Slovakia. Nice. Now I have to ask because our our AC recruiting team would would scold me if I didn't. Why didn't you apply to Bain coming out of undergrad? Oh, I did. I did apply to Bain and I got an interview with Bain. And now knowing how the process works, I am mortified to admit that I canceled my interview. Going back to it and not understanding how all of these things worked. And yes, I was a finance major and I was at a pretty good business undergrad program. I did not prep for case interviews. So it got to the day before and I was like, yeah, nope. Definitely not going to work out. And so I just canceled. And did you just call him and be like, yeah, nah, forget it. I'm out. Basically, I think I don't, I don't even know if I sent an email. I think I just canceled in the interview system. 
which is also mortifying because my brother had worked at Bain and he had already left, but still knew the people in the Dallas office where I was interviewing for, which makes it even worse because I'm pretty sure they then just texted him to understand why I would do something like that. Well, the good news is there was a good amount of time between that and where we're heading next, which was yes. going to business school. So yes. you have a finance background, and I know a lot of people that I talk with that have business or business-related undergraduate degrees say, ah, I don't really think business school is worth the investment. You obviously felt different. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that, because I think how you make that decision is important for a lot of people. Yeah. So I had spent five years at the company I was at prior to Kellogg, which is ended up where I ended up going to business school. And if there was one thing constant in my experience at that company, it was change big, big transformational changes. And I actually ended up on a project where we assessed our company's ability to change. And there's three big parts to change, right? There's the processes. Can you envision where your point of arrival is from your point of departure? There's all of the tools and tech that needs to enable you to get there. And then there's people. And we did pretty well on the process and tools part, but we just never gave people enough time to change. Got to incentivize them and they've got to have the case for change. There's so much that goes into that people component. So for me, when I had envisioned what my career was going to look like up until this point, I was like, yeah, finance, maybe I want to be a CFO. And then that narrative started to change for me. No, this strategy piece is so interesting and so hard. Maybe I want to go run a strategy organization within a company. So decided that the best place to do that, or the best place to learn how to do that was going to be business school. And then that would open doors for me on the other side. Right. And so... When you're there in business school, you're looking at consulting firms. I assume, like most people, you're looking at anybody who will interview you at first. But how did you end up deciding on Bain as the, the place to spend your summer, which I think was your first, your first foray into consulting with Bain? Yeah, I actually went to business school thinking I would go directly into corporate strategy. And then you get to business school and on day one, they're like, yeah, if you want to do corporate strategy, you should really be a consultant. So pivoted quite quickly into that. So I went through, I learned a lot from undergrad. So I actually prepared for case interviews this time and knew what I was getting myself into. So I'd gone through the recruiting process. And I think as soon as you get on campus, for anybody who's going to business school, the consulting firms have it down, right? You start to get to know people really early on. They help you prep. You prep with your peers. All of this is a three to four month process before you finally interview. So I was lucky enough to get offers from a few consulting firms. And what it came down to me in the decision point was evaluating how my values fit with the firm that I wanted to go work for. Because, I mean, you can tell me I'm wrong, Keith, you've been at Bain much longer than I have. We generally do the same work across the top consulting firms, but I think there's a little bit of nuance and difference about how we do the work and who we're doing the work with. Everyone is excellent and great, but I just felt that pull and that connection to Bain. And I actually had more relationships with Bainies, whether that was at my time prior to Kellogg or through my friendships at Kellogg, that lended itself more for me to find my spot there. Yeah, and I, I think some people overthink it a little bit because the, the same process of the firm's do similar work, but they do it differently and different people thrive in different environments is no different than choosing a business school program or an undergraduate program for your bachelor's degree. Calculus is calculus wherever you go, but learning yep. it at one school may not be the same experience as learning it at another. And that's totally fine. You have to understand it enough to know which is best for you.
Now, how did your summer go? Was it what you expected? It was a tale of two stories. The first half was not great, honestly. Not because of anything that Bain... The setup was tough to come into. So the client that I was going to work for, there had already been a team there doing a project. It was going to be beautiful. I was going to join in right as they were moving into the second phase of the project. But some things got delayed on the client side. So phase two got delayed a week, another week, a third week. And now you're a third of the way through your internship. And I had added value by making copies at Kinko's. And I was... (laughs) I sat there pondering to myself at Kinko's. I'm like, is this what they're paying me to go do? Like, I actually don't know. Like, maybe I didn't make the right decision. Maybe this isn't the right spot for me. Because I really wanted to challenge myself. Bain is a hard place to work. It's a high-performance culture, as are all of the top-tier consulting firms. But I really wanted to test myself. Is this going to be the right fit? Thankfully, phase two started, and my experience was night and day. All of a sudden, I was leading client workshops. We actually traveled to the Bahamas to lead one of those workshops. I was working with senior partners from across the firm to figure out where we wanted this strategy to go for the client. And I really got that experience that allowed me to say, yes, this is something I want to go do. Right. I think what people may not realize if they're new to the recruiting game in the last couple of years is this whole notion of you know, earning the offer for the summer was a real thing. So if you're a third of the way through, you know, potentially the make or break decision point for your career post business school, you're super nervous at that point, right? Yes. What did I, what had I done to deserve this? I mean, all interview processes should be two ways. Am I a good fit? Are you a good fit for me? And at that point, (laughs) a third of the way through my summer on either side, we were not looking good. Right. So the second half, thankfully, we pulled it together with the client and, and got you some good experiences, got you to the sunshine. You ended up joining full-time and working for several years as a consultant at Bain. Did you have a sense of what you wanted to do with your career when you, when you came into Bain? Did you want to go back into tech, which is what you had been before? Or you know, did you have other areas of interest? I, I really have been so drawn to this idea of breadth across my career. So part of me felt so comfortable in tech, and I really loved the five years that I had had prior to business school. I think there was something really interesting for me to figure out more about smaller tech. So I had worked for a big corporation. What does it look like when you are more agile and more of the, the digital strategy piece? So tech was always interesting. And then I had some really great cases in more of our retail branding. So actually it was more capability than industry. But I I actually ended up leaving consulting before I needed to get to a point where I needed to decide where to focus. Let's talk about that a little bit before we get into much more detail about it. But what did you start doing outside of your casework at Bain? We call them extra 10%. Every, Every company kind of has these you know, hobbies that people are doing on the side at Bain, those are extra 10s. You know, what was your extra 10? And and is that related at all to what you're doing now? Not super related. My biggest extra 10 was recruiting. I've always loved people. I mean, going, if I go back even to my first experience and in that rotational program, what I loved most was almost how the program ran, how every six months we switched, how we made those matches, the type of education that we got in each of those semesters, as we called them. And so as I came to Bain and was looking for areas to get involved in that gave me a lot of energy that allowed me to give back to the firm, it was going to be something people-related. And for me, because recruiting had made such a difference and allowed me to find a place that really fit for me, that's where I wanted to give back. How can I help create that for others? Now, you have that network that you're building out. You're on your cases. You're off and running. I do know in here that you moved to Chicago because that's where I met you. 
for the first time. Why the move? Personal reasons. My partner was had just left his first job out of MBA. We had met in school together at Kellogg and was looking to yeah just switch industries, switch focus, switch jobs. And so we were in Dallas and most of the opportunities he was interested in were Chicago. Our Kellogg network was a huge piece of that. He's also from the Midwest, so it was a natural draw. Right, right. So then you moved to Chicago. Did you stay on the consulting side when you moved or was this were you making multiple changes at once like so many people seem to do these days? Multiple changes at once because it's always the easiest path, right? When people go back to and your hindsight's always 2020 and all these moves make sense and when you took these risks make sense. For me it was very serendipitous how I ended up making the switch into one of the functional roles at Bain. So I'm moving to Chicago. I'm actually looking on our global mobility website to figure out how to make the switch as a consultant. When I found a link on the website that said, here are some jobs for consultants that are outside of the general consulting path. So I clicked on it. I mean, I'm on the website, might as well learn more. And one of the jobs that we were hiring for was to lead our inspirational leadership team in the Americas. So we can get into more inspirational leadership But if we go back to what I already know about myself, I love people. I love enabling people. I mean, it's the draw to consulting and how can you enable your clients to be better. It's got that people component and how I can build others up. And so interviewed for that role. Actually, it took me more interviews to get a job internally than it did to get me the summer associate job. We've gotten Um, better. We've gotten better at that. (laughs) Went through that process and then had the offer to join the functional team and had to decide as I was moving to Chicago, was I going to take the consulting role or did I want to move internal? So Mackenzie, let's talk about what happens when you get to Chicago. You're now no longer on the consulting team, so to speak. You're working with the inspirational leadership team. What is that job about and what was your mission heading into that job? Inspirational leadership is our proprietary leadership development program that we have at Bain. And so what we are mandated, tasked, what our ambition to go do is to help people identify their leadership brand, which we believe is strengths-based, and then go create an action plan that allows them to be more inspirational. And when we say inspirational, there's really three components to it. One, you have to have a basis of performance skills. So what job are you hired to go do? Are you above the bar in terms of that performance? Are you delivering results to the community that you have? There's another component of these things that we call inspiration skills. And what they enable you to do is to inspire and motivate yourself and others. Because it's one thing to do the job, but the way we work at Bain is with teams, with clients, so heavily collaborative that it really is also about how you engage with others. And then the third bucket of skills, in addition to performance and inspiration, is this idea of personal capacity, of having the mental and physical well-being to do the job, to perform and to inspire. And what inspirational leadership does, the program, is to really focus on the inspiration skills, helping you identify what it is that makes up your brand. And then we had touched on personal capacity, but it hadn't been a focus area for us until we started to get into 2019, 2020. And before we get to the personal capacity, which is when we work together directly here in Chicago, let's double click a little bit more on inspirational leadership, because I think There's plenty of books on leadership that are out there, but one of the things that stood out to me was the assessment that we took, because we we actually eat our own cooking at Bain, and I went through the Inspirational Leadership Workshop and the, the assessment tool and all of that. 
One of the things that I remember about it, though, is that it didn't focus on what you're good at and what you're bad at and strengthening what you're bad at, so to speak, or or where you have more room to improve if we want to put a positive spin on it. The development opportunities. Exactly. It actually focuses a little bit differently than what I think most people are used to. Can you share a little bit about the philosophy behind that? Because I think it's I think it's unique and it's part of what is making inspirational leadership such a big thing at Bain. Yeah. Inspirational leadership has four fundamental principles. The first one is that it's built on results. So going back to those three bucket of skills, you cannot inspire people if you're not actually performing your job. So if you're not delivering on what you were hired to deliver on, you can't really inspire people. But then as we get into the other three components or three principles, one is that inspirational leadership is learnable. The good news is nobody is born a great leader or not. It is something that we can all develop for ourselves, but it's about being intentional behind that development piece. It is also authentic. In addition to not being born great leaders, there is no equation to being a great leader. Like you read all these leadership books and this leader has A, B, and C as their characteristics. Another leader who's really great has X, Y, and Z. What we believe at Bain is it's about what is inherent to you, what is authentic to you, where do you spike as an individual, that's going to make you great. And what's interesting, we've done some analysis on our top leadership at Bain, people who are sought after to work for, and we've looked at their leadership profiles. There is no one archetype at Bain. There's no one right way to lead at Bain. And it just adds this richness of how can you identify what you're great at and lean into it? And then lastly, that fourth principle is that it's strengths-based. So it goes back to that big Mark Twain story, right? It's about leaning into what you are great at because making improvements on the margin on some of the elements that don't matter for you or that you don't spike on, that's not going to inspire people. But if you are really, truly great at the things that you are already great at, that is inspirational. That is inspiring. That is somebody I want to go follow. Yeah, and the the analysis that you did on the top leaders at Bain, I remember seeing that in some of our leadership team meetings. And it was just eye-opening because I don't think people fully appreciate it until we actually saw the data. It's Bain. We like the data. I don't think anybody really appreciated that, no, we are truly a diverse leadership team. And it's more than just visible diversity. But how people were wired to lead was actually different. And multiple archetypes were successful, which was unbelievable. And there's four different ways. Well, we've identified four different ways that you can lead. And within each of those buckets, there are different elements. So ultimately, it comes down to picking your leadership brand from 32 elements within four buckets. The first one is developing your inner resources. You can inspire other people by how you develop yourself. So by your optimism, by your self-actualization, by your self-regard, like these things inspire people. There's also a bucket about how you engage in smaller groups in settings of two to three people. Do you lead with empathy, with humility? Do you listen? There are ways that you can lead without being a formal leader, and that is follow-through, responsibility, having a shared ambition. And then there are the traditional, quote-unquote, leadership skills like visioning, empowerment, sponsorship. And what we've found is that most people aren't centered in just one category, but you don't necessarily have to have one element across all of them. It's about how you show up in these different situations that inspires others. And so we wanted to make a point of allowing that diversity of even how you engage to show up in this model. Yeah. And I remember the part that was really refreshing for me was exactly what you described, which is I wouldn't have to continually swim upstream by building skills that just didn't come naturally to me. Right. I can't be truly deficient in any of the areas, 
but the idea that I would all of a sudden become the life of the party and super charismatic and outgoing, like that's just not my thing. Right. And inspirational leadership taught me that I actually don't need to make that my thing. I can just be good at what I'm good at and be who I am. No, the deficiencies, I mean, where we can actually have gaps or where there are standards, that's, that's why we have performance skills. That's why we have the performance matrix at Bain, what we know we need to have at each of the levels where we are performing. But on that inspiration piece, like that's where the diversity can come in. And what is also really interesting, I lead these workshops around the world with different cohorts at Bain, even with clients. One of the first questions that we ask people when we kick off these sessions is think about somebody who's inspired you. What characteristic has inspired you? And 99 out of 100 times, it is something around what people call soft skills or emotional intelligence or what we call inspiration skills. And very rarely is it about performance skills. Like, oh, they can crush the analytics. I mean, yes, that's great. And yes, you need to have that, but that is not what inspires people. So Mackenzie, I want to talk a little bit about personal capacity, which was one of the things you mentioned earlier. And where we first got to work together, we rolled out sort of personal capacity training, if you will, globally. And I was one of the trainers in the Chicago office. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and why it was so important in these last couple of years? I think it was already coming and we accelerated it like crazy when all of the drama, the racial unrest, the pandemic, the economic crisis of 2020 hit. And why don't we share a little bit about what that is with people? Yeah, personal capacity is your holistic well-being. It is your mental and physical well-being. It is the tools that you have to help you reach, fulfill, maintain your capacity. There's an element of centeredness here too, but it basically, it defines how you can show up to the job. It is the first step before you get to perform and inspire. So to your point, this is something that we know is important to be able to be a leader. It's something that's important to be a person, right? To be able to show up in all of the dimensions of your life. And for a while, we took it for granted of like, yeah, like we're all pretty good. How's your well-being? I don't even know actually how many people asked me that before the pandemic, but maybe we should have been doing that more. And then things got really hard. And this job is inherently high performance. Like we ask a lot of our people here at Bain. And so it became even more important for us to care about each other's well-being. And we, I don't know if you've talked about this on a previous podcast, but Bain rolled out new and updated operating principles this past year. And one of the operating principles, which is the foundations of how we engage at this firm, is that a Bainey never lets another Bainey fail. And within that operating principle, it states that we care about each other's well-being. Not that we have to solve each other's well-being, but we have to care. And so the personal capacity program and curriculum that we have developed as part of our team is really to help us care for one another. And it takes having a common language. It takes tools. It takes creating the space to have the dialogue. And what's the response been as we've rolled that out? I've seen some of it myself personally, but you've seen it on a much broader basis. It's wonderful. So when we rolled this out, it became a much bigger component of what we were training on as our team. Our team actually grew and expanded in scope. So where I joined the inspirational leadership team two and a half years ago, a year ago, we up-leveled it to the best team, which is balanced, energized, successful teams, which is 
about how we can support Bain's holistic well-being and development. And our ambition is that everybody at Bain can show up as their best selves, not their happiest, but their best selves so that they can live more enriching, inspiring, and healthier lives, because that is what enables us to make impact on our communities, our teams, and our clients. What next for you and the team as you roll this out? We started with inspirational leadership. We went to personal capacity. We brought all of this together under the umbrella of BEST, which also includes what I would say I've also seen as the formal programs like the HR and benefits, the LOAs, the you know access to meditation apps and mental health professionals. There's a lot of other things there. What's next? What's on the horizon? What's got you excited about the next chapter and what we're doing with BEST? The thing about well-being, which makes it so interesting, is that actually similar to leadership, there is no formula to it. We have benchmarked our peers. We've benchmarked some of the top companies in the world, and nobody has the exact program that you can run to support people's well-being because it is so personal. And so what gets me excited is, one, there's no right answer when we think about supporting people's well-being and creating that culture at Bain. It takes an environment of experimentation. So as we think about our programming, how do we upskill people and build capabilities so each individual can help manage their own well-being, whether that's their personal capacity or how they're thriving on their team? We're investing in well-being resources. So you mentioned some of the, the benefits that we have. So access to Headspace, We are globally launching access to Unmind, another platform. We have one-on-one psychological support in all of our offices. And so what gets me jazzed is the fact that we are going to be able to meet all people where they are, whether that's through capability building and some of our learning and development content, whether that's workshops or it is digital learning assets. It's also through some of these other places where you can engage individually for the things that you need like one-on-one psychological support or coaching. Right. And I I think that's part of what's helped the overall firm improve and get better and grow together through a very difficult period for all of us. As I tell people in our recruiting events, we're all going through the pandemic. We're all going through a lot of the other things, but it's affecting us all very differently. Yes, absolutely. And what you're describing is an approach as a firm that we've taken that says, I'm going to meet you where you're at. And we're going to build from there. And we're going to do that for every single employee at the firm. This isn't just for the leadership team. It's not just for the consultant team or the business function team. It's for every single employee at Bain. The operating principle you quoted said Bainy. Yep. That's all of us. Every single person here. And one of the questions that you asked when I started to go into how best launched was also how people are responding to personal capacity. So our team is engaged quite often based off of a demand model of, a leadership team's meeting, an office's meeting, a cohort is meeting. It would be great to have some best content. And the demand that we've seen has really been around this personal capacity piece of how do I understand my purpose and values and what matters to me? How do I promote my physical and mental well-being? How do I engage in a dialogue about my stretch and my capacity with my broader team? We still have demand for inspirational leadership. We have demand for some of our other training content like thriving or best case experience, but there really has been just such a core focus on making sure all of us are okay first. Yeah, and that was for me one of the things because we went through the modules before we trained them. And it was just really neat for me because I remember thinking about halfway through one of them that you were leading. I can't believe I'm talking about this at work. (laughs) I know. 
We're talking about like right. how much sleep I'm getting and when I'm exercising and whether or not I'm eating healthy and all of those things. And it was just neat because it, it was one of those things. I've been here 26 years and I don't remember a time, you know, 20 years ago when that was really not, it wasn't unwelcome, but it wasn't part of the focus. Right. It's not what you kick off a case with. Right. And it had nothing to do with the client work. It had nothing to do with, you know, you know having an impact and creating great results. It had everything to do with making sure that I could show up and live a healthy life while working here and doing all the things I want to do outside of work. It was really awesome. Yeah. And I, I think it gets really interesting. One of the first things that we encourage people to do as they learn about personal capacity is to have a conversation with their team. And really, it's an opportunity to check in. We've got this metaphor of the stretch, and stretch is how we measure our personal capacity and how much more can we take on? Are we feeling inspired and motivated? If you think about that as a rubber band, like we've all been stretched sometimes maybe not to our limits, but we push that stretch really far that if one more thing hits that rubber band, it could snap. And it leads us into exhaustion. It leads us into burnout. It leads us into fatigue and ultimately creates an environment where we don't want to be. And so what we want to do in going back to caring versus solving people's well-being is to have that conversation of, hey, we can all stretch for a short period of time. It's actually somewhat healthy to have acute levels of stress but what we don't want it to become is chronic. And so being able to raise your hand when you have been at a five, which is our highest level of stretch for a few weeks or a month, or hopefully not longer, but potentially longer than that. So we can work as a team to bring you back down into that healthy level of stretch. Mackenzie, just as we wrap up here, I want to ask you for some advice for the people listening. As they start the next chapter in their career, hopefully with Bain, what advice would you give them on how to manage this and how to approach the job, whether they're at Bain or not, to live a healthy, sort of balanced, sustainable lifestyle? I have two pieces of advice. The first one is that your well-being matters. And so I highly encourage you to consistently check in with yourself. How are you doing? And it's not just the question of like, okay or not okay, but how is my physical health? How's my mental health? How's my emotional health? But just giving yourself the opportunity to check in. I also think there's huge power in checking with those that you care about, whether those are your colleagues, those are your friends, those are your family members, creating the ripple effects of being there for each other. And then my other piece of advice is as you are going through the job search process, behavior change takes a long time. And this, it goes back to how I even started my career. Change takes a very long time. It is very difficult. But I highly encourage you as you are evaluating companies and organizations and teams to see what their values are, because ideally the values align and that behavior change follows, but it's about finding an organization that's going to support you and that's going to care about you because you matter. And I want you to matter personally and professionally. And on that note, Mackenzie, I want to thank you for your time today. I was looking forward to this when we decided to get you on the podcast a while ago. So I am really grateful for your time. I know we are all crazy busy. And as you described, uh, we're not out of the woods yet. And your demand, the demand for your time is very high. So thank you for the time today. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Mackenzie. I'm really excited that you'll be co-hosting an episode with me for an important conversation on mental health. I promise you won't want to miss it. So be sure to subscribe and stay up to date on new episodes as they drop. 